Chapter Eight of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurnee, Illinois. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Seven, by John Hay and John George Nicolay chapter eight the invasion of pennsylvania as soon as hooker found himself once more on the north bank of the rappahannock he began to think of crossing again as he gradually recovered the use of his benumbed faculties he saw that in spite of the three days slaughter into which he had led and from which he had brought back his army he had as yet fought no battle on the sixth of may he telegraphed to the president that he had seen no way of giving the enemy general battle with a desirable prospect of success that he had only engaged a comparatively small proportion of his troops and that he saw a better place near at hand for the whole to join the president appreciating more clearly than general hooker the deplorable effect of chancellorsville upon the public mind wrote to him on the seventh the following letter quote, the recent movement of your army is ended without effecting its object except perhaps some important breakings of the enemy's communications what next if possible i would be very glad of another movement early enough to give us some benefit from the fact of the enemy's communication being broken but neither for this reason nor any other do i wish anything done in desperation or rashness an early movement would also help to supersede the bad moral effect of the recent one which is said to be considerably injurious have you already in your mind a plan wholly or partially formed if you have prosecute it without interference for me if you have not please inform me so that i incompetent as i may be can try and assist in the formation of some plan for the army Unquote. the general answered on the same day saying that he did not deem it expedient to suspend operations on that line that the want of success in the first attempt to extricate the army from its present position was through causes which could not be foreseen as to the time for renewing his advance he could only decide after he had learned more of the feeling of the troops he said he had decided in his own mind the plan to be adopted in his next effort if the president wished to have one made he gave no intimation of what his plan was except that it would be one in which the operations of all the corps unless it should be a part of the cavalry would be within his personal supervision in his evidence before the committee on the conduct of the war he intimated that the plan he had at that time in his mind for an engagement was quote, at franklin's crossing where i had elbow room unquote. on the thirteenth he wrote to the president explaining his reasons for delay his army had been considerably reduced by the withdrawal of the two years and nine months regiments by which his marching force of infantry was cut down to about eighty thousand 
he says that he is impatient to move but his impatience must not be indulged at the expense of the country's interests longstreet is in richmond and can readily join lee if attacked the enemy's camps appear to be increasing in numbers he now believes the enemy is numerically superior to him he would like to have a reserve of twenty-five thousand infantry placed at his disposal if possible and ends with an expression not quite in keeping with the rest of his letter that he quote, hopes to be able to commence his movement tomorrow unquote. this hope was not fulfilled it is doubtful if much importance was attached to it on the other side of the correspondence for the president answered him the next day telling him clearly that he did not then think it probable that anything could be gained by an early renewal of the attempt to cross the rappahannock the enemy having re-established his communications regained his position and received reinforcements quote, i therefore shall not complain said mr lincoln if you do no more for a time than to keep the enemy at bay and out of other mischief by menaces and occasional cavalry raids if practicable and to put your own army into good condition again still if in your own clear judgment you can renew the attack successfully i do not mean to restrain you Unquote. at the close of the president's letter occurs a passage which bears an unhappy resemblance to the communications made to burnside near the close of his brief command Quote, i must tell you he says that i have some painful intimations that some of your corps and division commanders are not giving you their entire confidence this would be ruinous if true and you should therefore first of all ascertain the real facts beyond all possibility of doubt Unquote. there was to general hooker in these words an ominous reminiscence of the fate of his predecessor and of his own conduct towards him and he immediately called upon the president to ascertain what special significance they contained the president promptly told him that he had derived his information from two prominent citizens of pennsylvania governor curtin and mr barclay from which general hooker at once inferred that the center of disaffection towards him was with general meade and general stoneman the great and easily earned victories which had fallen to the lot of general lee on the banks of the rappahannock had raised to the highest point they ever reached the spirits and the confidence of the confederate government the defeat of general burnside in december followed by the unfortunate campaign of hooker in may had excited in the southern army and in the richmond cabinet a feeling of invincibility a corresponding depression and grief had invaded the north which gave occasion to the manifestation of a sinister opposition to the government from which the most serious results were hoped on the one side and feared on the other the richmond papers copied with the greatest elation the factious utterances of prominent democrats of the north and attributed to them an undue influence a pamphlet attacking the administration is referred to by one southern historian as the echo of the quote, thunder of lee's guns of chancellorsville unquote. from the rebel emissaries in europe also there came letters full of hope and encouragement 
saying that one or two more such victories would secure the recognition of the confederacy by all the great powers with more vigor and unanimity than inspired the cry of quote, on to richmond unquote, two years before was general lee now beset on every hand with the cry quote, on to washington unquote. we are given to understand from many sources that this plan of invasion was not originally his own and jefferson davis himself claims the responsibility for it but general lee accepted it not unwillingly he would have been more than human if he had not been greatly elated by his victories at fredericksburg and chancellorsville and the army which he saw under his orders at the end of may was by far the finest that ever gathered under the confederate banner it was about equal in numbers to the great army with which he raised the siege of richmond against mcclellan and far superior to it by virtue of a year of constant success and rigid discipline longstreet had brought back his army from suffolk and the enthusiasm born of recent successes had filled the depleted regiments with the flower of the southern youth it was divided into three corps of three divisions each under lieutenant generals longstreet ewell and a p hill and numbered nearly eighty thousand men general lee in his report of the thirty first of july eighteen sixty three gives a clear and simple statement of the motives which induced him to begin his enterprise of invasion Quote, the position he says occupied by the enemy opposite fredericksburg being one in which he could not be attacked to advantage it was determined to draw him from it the execution of this purpose embraced the relief of the shenandoah valley and if practicable the transfer of the scene of hostilities north of the potomac Unquote. he thought that the execution of this purpose would give him a fair opportunity to strike a blow at general hooker's army in the course of the movement into which that army would be drawn that in any event it would be compelled to leave virginia and draw other troops to its support from a distance finally quote, it was hoped that other valuable results might be obtained by military success unquote. in this last brief phrase are buried the most audacious and ambitious hopes ever entertained by the confederate government they expected no less than to conquer a triumphant peace in this campaign of general lee they looked upon their army as a machine so perfect in composition and in discipline that it could go anywhere and do anything if the army of the potomac stood in its way they expected to beat it as they had done before it was to their minds within the range of reasonable probability that they should take harrisburg and philadelphia baltimore would be theirs without resistance for it always pleased them to regard maryland and its chief city as lying in unwilling bondage at the feet of lincoln the capture of washington was an incident of this campaign of great expectations it is reported that when it was suggested to general lee that hooker might take advantage of his absence to advance upon richmond he smiled and said quote, very well in that case we shall swap queens unquote. the question of supplies gave him no trouble the greater distance he marched from the plundered and wasted fields of virginia the better the rich lands of the lower shenandoah of maryland and pennsylvania 
were among the greatest of the temptations of this bold enterprise there is a story not very well authenticated that when general lee made a requisition for a large amount of rations upon the richmond government the confederate commissary-general endorsed upon the paper quote, if general lee wishes rations let him seek them in pennsylvania unquote. before the end of may hooker began to suspect that the army across the river was on the eve of a forward movement spies from richmond reported that the principal topics of conversation in that city were the funeral of stonewall jackson and the invasion of maryland hooker with that keenness of insight which generally characterized him telegraphed to the secretary of war on the twenty eighth of may that while he was in doubt as to the direction lee would take he thought it would be quote, the one of last year however desperate it may appear unquote. to ascertain more definitely if there were any actual movement in progress he bridged the river in his front and threw the sixth corps over at franklin's crossing on the sixth of june he saw from falmouth heights that the movement created a good deal of excitement in the camps opposite and that the enemy gathered from all quarters in great force in front of sedgwick he therefore concluded that no movement was under way at that moment as so often happened with general hooker his intuition was nearer correct than his inferences derived from actual contact with the enemy because hill's forces had gathered with great alacrity to dispute sedgwick's advance he concluded that the enemy was not yet in motion on the day before he had sent a long dispatch to the president announcing with great clearness and accuracy his views of lee's movement which turned out in the end to be absolutely correct he thought lee had in mind to cross the upper potomac and move upon washington that the head of his column would be directed towards the potomac by way of gordonsville or culpeper while the rear would rest on fredericksburg he therefore desired the views of the government concerning the army of the potomac in such a contingency he gave it decidedly as his opinion that it was his duty to attack lee's rear as soon as the movement was fully developed mr lincoln replied to this dispatch with only an hour's delay saying that so much of professional military skill was requisite to answer it that he had turned the task over to general halleck but the president himself decidedly disapproved of hooker's suggestion to attack the enemy in fredericksburg the recollection of burnside's disaster was too fresh in the minds of both the president and general halleck to allow them to look with favor upon the project of attacking an army in position on a scene which had been already so fatal to our troops the enemy would fight said the president quote, in entrenchments and have you at disadvantage and so man for man worst you at that point while his main force would in some way be getting an advantage of you northward in one word i would not take any risk of being entangled upon the river like an ox jumped half over a fence and liable to be torn by dogs front and rear without a fair chance to gore one way or kick the other unquote. with this graphic metaphor the president turned the military question involved over to the two generals halleck repeated the same idea in less vivid language he thought it would be much better to attack the flank of lee's movable column rather than to cross the rappahannock and fight the entrenched rear guard at fredericksburg 
while this correspondence was going on the movement which hooker suspected was in full progress it had begun on the third of june mclaw's division of longstreet's corps was the first body of troops to move from fredericksburg to culpeper courthouse and hood's troops from the rapidan had marched to the same place on the fourth and fifth ewell's corps left fredericksburg so that when sedgwick crossed below the city the only force that confronted him was that of a p hill although hooker was not aware of the heavy force of confederate infantry that had already arrived at culpeper courthouse he knew there was a great concentration of cavalry near that place and resolved to attack it he sent a large force in that direction under pleasanton and david mick m gregg the whole command was to rendezvous at brandy station and attack the enemy together unfortunately as it resulted they found the enemy at that point instead of at culpeper and not coming together at the same instant they suffered the disadvantage almost inseparable from such a concentric movement and were forced to fight in detail an enemy in position in superior numbers it was one of the most important cavalry fights in the war in fact it is rare anywhere that a duel of ten thousand horsemen on a side is ever seen both armies fought with equal courage and nearly equal damage and both sides as a matter of course congratulated themselves on a signal victory the results which general pleasanton claims to have accomplished were the breaking up of the enemy's plans gaining valuable information and so crippling the confederate cavalry that they were unable to follow out their purpose to so protect the right wing of lee's army as to screen his march along the eastern base of the blue ridge thus compelling him to take the less desirable route by the shenandoah valley pleasanton even thought on the night of the battle that he had broken up the entire expedition an illusion which hooker did not share general hooker having been convinced by the affair of brandy station that the bulk of the enemy's cavalry and a strong body of infantry were at culpeper and that the tendency of the rest of his infantry was to drift in that direction conceived a bold and startling plan which he at once communicated to the president it was nothing less than to march directly upon richmond brushing away the force left at fredericksburg and leaving lee's army on his right flank he did not go so far as mcclellan had done in adopting lee's idea of quote, swapping queens unquote. on the contrary he thought that after taking richmond which he imagined would be a mere matter of capturing the provost guard he could send from there all the disposable part of his army to any threatened point north of the potomac he thought there would be no difficulty in holding in check any force which might be thrown against washington until his return there is something in this proposition which stirs the blood of any soldier who reflects upon the exciting possibilities which it contains if it had been attempted and had succeeded a world of blood and treasure would have been saved hooker would have gained one of the greatest names of modern times and lee's career would have ended in disaster not unmingled with ridicule but the suggestion was too extravagant and hazardous to commend itself to the calm judgment of the president he answered without a moment's delay quote, if left to me i would not go south of rappahannock upon lee's moving north of it if you had richmond invested to-day you would not be able to take it in twenty days 
i think lee's army and not richmond is your sure objective point if he comes towards the upper potomac follow on his flank and on his inside track shortening your lines while he lengthens his fight him too when opportunity offers if he stays where he is fret him and fret him Unquote. he wrote this dispatch before consulting halleck but the general-in-chief gave it his full approval and there seems to be no question that the president's decision was the wisest which could have been taken lee sent his advance into the valley of the shenandoah and general ewell invested the garrison of winchester on the thirteenth this post was held by general milroy a man of stubborn courage who when ordered to evacuate the place instead of obeying protested that he would be able to hold it against any force the enemy might bring his orders were not repeated with sufficient promptness and firmness and he was therefore caught by ewell's army and though fighting obstinately only escaped with the loss of a large proportion of his forces on the very night when ewell struck winchester hill began his march up the rappahannock and hooker also left the aquia line moving in accordance with the president's directions pursuing the road indicated towards the upper potomac before the president had heard of milroy's disaster he telegraphed to hooker asking if he could afford any succor at winchester drawing in one of his vivid phrases a picture of the condition of the rebel army he said quote, if the head of lee's army is at martinsburg and the tail of it on the plank road between fredericksburg and chancellorsville the animal must be very slim somewhere could you not break him Unquote. it was not until the night of the fifteenth of june that the president was able to telegraph to general hooker a definite account of the loss of winchester and martinsburg and to say that the enemy was crossing the potomac at williamsport this left no doubt on hooker's mind of the settled purpose of the enemy though he thought that lee would be more inclined to go north and west than to turn to the east Quote, he can have no design said hooker in a dispatch to the president to look after his rear it is an act of desperation on his part no matter what force he moves Unquote. in all hooker's dispatches of this period there is a tone of sullen reticence arising from his strained relations with general halleck which boded no good to the interests of the army for instance in this dispatch written at a moment which called for the utmost exercise of all his energy and vigor he says quote, i do not know that my opinion as to the duty of this army in the case is wanted if it should be you know that i would be happy to give it unquote. general halleck on the same day had telegraphed him quote, your army is entirely free to operate as you desire against lee's army so long as you keep his main army from washington unquote. on the next day the sixteenth of june hooker sent another dispatch to the president still more marked in its spirit of insubordination quote, you have long been aware mr president that i have not enjoyed the confidence of the major general commanding the army and i can assure you so long as this continues we may look in vain for success especially as future operations will require our relations to be more dependent upon each other than heretofore unquote. he continued to ask for instructions complaining of the lack of information on the movements of the enemy saying that he could not quote, divine his intentions 
so long as he fills the country with a cloud of cavalry the president seeing that only disaster could follow the exhibition of such a spirit on the part of the general in command of a great army in the most momentous crisis of the war responded in a tone of unusual sternness Quote, to remove all misunderstanding i now place you in the strict military relation to general halleck of a commander of one of the armies to the general-in-chief of all the armies i have not intended differently but it seems to be differently understood i shall direct him to give you orders and you to obey them Unquote. but at the same time he sent hooker by the hand of his young friend captain ulrich dahlgren a letter in which laying aside his tone of authority he pleaded with the gentlest persuasion for a better understanding between the two generals he said my dear general i send you this by the hand of captain dahlgren your dispatch of eleven thirty a m to-day is just received when you say i have long been aware that you do not enjoy the confidence of the major general commanding you state the case much too strongly you do not lack his confidence in any degree to do you any harm on seeing him after telegraphing you this morning i found him more nearly agreeing with you than i was myself surely you do not mean to understand that i am withholding my confidence from you when i happen to express an opinion certainly never discourteously differing from one of your own i believe halleck is dissatisfied with you to this extent only that he knows that you write and telegraph report as he calls it to me i think he is wrong to find fault with this but i do not think he withholds any support from you on account of it if you and he would use the same frankness to one another and to me that i use to both of you there would be no difficulty i need and must have the professional skill of both and yet these suspicions tend to deprive me of both i believe you are aware that since you took command of the army i have not believed you had any chance to effect anything till now as it looks to me lee's now returning towards harper's ferry gives you back the chance that i thought mcclellan lost last fall quite possibly i was wrong both then and now but in the great responsibility resting upon me i cannot be entirely silent now all i ask is that you will be in such mood that we can get into our action the best cordial judgment of yourself and general halleck with my poor might added if indeed he and you shall think it entitled to any consideration at all yours as ever a lincoln in short the relations between general halleck and general hooker were rapidly becoming unendurable an instinctive dislike between them which dated from earlier days in california had grown to a positive and active antipathy the president had placed hooker in command of the army of the potomac against the judgment and wishes of general halleck hooker was made aware of this through the indiscretion of a member of the cabinet and his trenchant comments upon the general-in-chief were promptly reported at headquarters every act of each was misinterpreted by the other Quote, it was sufficient for me said hooker on one occasion to make a request to have it refused unquote. halleck on the other hand was annoyed at the frequent and friendly communication between the president and hooker he affected to believe that he had no authority over the general in a letter to the secretary of war dated may twenty third 
he pretended to have no information in regard to the army of the potomac since general hooker assumed command except that which he had received from the president quote, to whom he says general hooker reports directly unquote. it is hard to determine whether in this case as in that of burnside he refrained from assuming responsibility more from punctilio than from indolence it cannot be said that the coolness existed between the two generals had as yet affected injuriously the interests of the campaign in progress general hooker was moving his force from the line of aquia to the potomac with wonderful efficiency and skill although the president saw with some regret that no movement was made against the long-stretched flank of lee's army it is undeniable that hooker was pursuing the wisest course in swinging his army around on the inside of a parallel arc to that occupied by lee and in doing this he was only following out the president's clear and judicious orders of the tenth the march of his army to the potomac was scarcely less able and successful than his famous movement across the rappahannock and rapidan and on general halleck's part it does not appear that general hooker's complaints of malevolent interference were valid generals heintzelman and wool were ordered to report to him constantly he was given full command of their troops except those specially set apart for the defense of washington and all that part of the middle department east of cumberland which was commanded by general shank was placed under hooker's direct orders general hooker's action was never more intelligent and energetic than at this time he made no mistakes and he omitted nothing that could properly be done although he complained of lee's quote, cloud of cavalry which prevented him from obtaining information of his movements he managed his own cavalry with such vigor and efficiency that the enemy was kept equally in the dark the superiority of the confederate cavalry had disappeared with the mcclellan regime from the time hooker assumed command and more especially from the hour in which pleasanton took the mounted force in hand the union cavalry began to meet their opponents upon equal terms and at every encounter where the forces were not disproportionate they gained the advantage it had been the hope and expectation of lee to hold the passes of the bull run mountains with his cavalry and behind that living screen to use the east and the west slopes of the blue ridge for the march of his army northward but the energy and skill with which the union cavalry was managed rendered this plan abortive at aldi at middleburg at thoroughfare gap and at every point where the confederate cavalry appeared they were attacked by pleasanton and his subordinates gregg buford and judson kilpatrick and driven backward in every fight until at last stuart retired to ashby's gap under the protection of longstreet's infantry but these successes of his cavalry did not tempt hooker to any imprudent advance upon the flank of the enemy general lee says in his report that longstreet's advance upon the east side of the blue ridge and his occupation of the passes were for the purpose of drawing hooker farther from his base but even the advance of ewell across the river and the news of the panic and terror his cruel exactions were exciting among the peaceful farmers of maryland and pennsylvania did not have the desired effect of drawing hooker away from his well-considered plan seeing himself outmaneuvered in this respect 
General Lee withdrew Longstreet from the passes and sent him down the valley after Ewell, where Hill had already preceded him. Stuart was left alone to guard the passes of the mountains and to watch the movements of Hooker. The duty assigned him, besides keeping Lee informed of every movement of the Union Army, was to worry and harass it as much as possible, and try to delay, or even prevent, its crossing of the Potomac. This was a task, as it proved, far beyond his powers. He had all he could do to defend himself from harassment and annoyance. Every time he approached the Federal force, he was beaten off, and at last, relinquishing all hope of effecting anything against Hooker's moving host, he struck to the eastward and performed his favorite feat of riding around the Union Army. He crossed the Potomac at Seneca Creek, captured a train at Rockville, made a long and fatiguing detour at a great distance from the right flank of the national forces, lost his way between York and Carlisle, and after six days of desperate marching and frequent unsuccessful engagements, during which he accomplished little except to weary and cripple a great portion of his command, he joined the main body of Lee on the evening of the 2nd of July, too late to be of any real service in the invasion of Pennsylvania. Quote, By the 24th of June, General Lee says, the progress of Ewell rendered it necessary that the rest of the army should be within supporting distance. Unquote. He therefore put the columns of Longstreet and Hill at once in movement, and they both crossed the Potomac without opposition the one at Williamsport, the other at Shepherdstown, and coming together at Hagerstown. They crossed Mason and Dixon's line and encamped for the first time on free soil near Chambersburg on the 27th of June. On account of the failure of his cavalry, Lee was acting in entire ignorance of Hooker's movements. But with that contempt of his enemy, which was one source of strength to him, and a source of weakness as well, he pushed forward, trusting to meet every emergency as it arose. His only fear seems to have been that Hooker might push his forces west of South Mountain and thus cut off his communications with Virginia. To prevent this, he caused Early's division to be sent as far east as possible, hoping by this demonstration to frighten his antagonist away from his own line. The march of Yule had spread the wildest terror and consternation among the rural population on his route. The farmers, who were harvesting their crops, saw the fruits of their year's labor snatched from them in a moment, their horses and cattle driven away, and in the lower Shenandoah and in Maryland, their negro neighbors seized to be sold into slavery in the South. There was a great show of justice and fairness in the orders and proclamations of General Lee. Everything seized was to be paid for, but as payment was made in Confederate scrip, which was absolutely worthless outside of the rebel lines, it may be thought that General Lee has received more credit than is due to him for this pretense of scrupulosity. His army, as a matter of course, gave a liberal interpretation to his orders. Letters printed in Southern papers from correspondents in the army treated them as a dead letter and ridiculed the idea that the starving soldiers of the South should not enjoy the fatness of the enemy's country. All the plunder, which was not needed for immediate use, was sent down the Cumberland Valley and across the river. The panic-stricken farmers fled in every direction, but principally to the north. The roads were encumbered with melancholy caravans of fugitives, 
bearing their families and their household goods away from the scene of danger the whites trying to rescue as much of their stores as they could hastily gather together and the unhappy negroes to save themselves and their families from capture sale and lifelong separation among the rich cities of central pennsylvania and even as far as philadelphia in the east and pittsburgh in the west there was great excitement and concern general lee was bearing directly upon harrisburg a great center of trade and railway transportation the capture and destruction of which would have inflicted a staggering blow upon the prosperity of the state as early as the fifteenth of june the president foreseeing this invasion had called into the service of the united states one hundred thousand militia from the states of pennsylvania ohio maryland and west virginia to serve for six months unless sooner discharged the governors of all these states had promptly responded to this proclamation and summoned the militia to stated places of rendezvous the governors of new york and new jersey had also called upon their citizens to go to the assistance of their neighbors these calls were responded to with promptness and a large number of militia and unorganized bodies of citizens thronged the railroads to the banks of the susquehanna it is probable that they would not have offered much resistance to the disciplined army of lee but the show of force which they made was doubtless of service in checking his advance none of his forces crossed the river ewell's corps took possession of the city of carlisle and a division under early was sent to york which it occupied on the twenty eighth of june he laid that place under heavy contribution demanding one hundred thousand dollars in cash and a large amount of provisions and clothing in consideration of which he kindly refrained from destroying the town the bridge over the susquehanna at columbia was destroyed just before the confederate cavalry reached it a system of fortifications was hastily thrown up south of the susquehanna at harrisburg but the force of militia under general couch though it was not called into actual battle was probably more effective than these works in preventing an attack upon that city this state of excitement and terror in the peaceful towns and villages of pennsylvania found its contre-coup in the city of richmond the demonstration made by the union forces under general dix threw the confederate capital into great panic the entire male population was called to the defense of the works and it was even proposed to call boys from twelve to eighteen into the service the forces under colonel spears destroyed the bridge over the south anna and among other captures brought in general w f lee and a less valuable prize of fifteen thousand dollars in confederate bonds taken from an agent of the richmond government the operations of pleasanton having brushed the enemy entirely out of loudon county and given general hooker control of the potomac below harper's ferry he was able to choose at perfect leisure his time and place for crossing the river he waited until lee's whole army was on the north side and then crossed at edwards ferry he directed general reynolds to seize the passes of the south mountain so as not only to anticipate the enemy in their possession but also to confine him to a single line of invasion west of those hills he then directed reynolds with the first third and eleventh corps to take position at middletown he determined at once to strike the point where general lee was most sensitive to push a strong column directly west upon his line of communications 
and to keep the rest of his army in position to support it the feeling of grievance which he had towards general halleck had not for a moment influenced his action or impeded his zealous activity but the feeling remained and on the twenty seventh just before leaving poolesville to make a personal inspection of the post of harper's ferry he telegraphed to the general-in-chief somewhat in the old familiar tone of mcclellan before a battle that his whole force of enlisted men for duty would not exceed a hundred and five thousand adding that he stated these facts so that more might not be expected of him than he had material to do with he had previously sent general butterfield his chief of staff to washington and baltimore in the hope of organizing a strong movable corps to reinforce him on his crossing at washington general halleck had assured him that there was not a man who could be spared from the defense of the city and at baltimore general shank with all the good will possible could only raise a force of twenty one hundred his scouts and spies were continually bringing him information of the strength of lee's army and as usual in such cases their estimates were much exaggerated there was no soldier in our army of stouter heart than hooker and he seemed in this campaign to have recovered all that keenness of insight and steadiness of judgment which was obscured for a while at chancellorsville nevertheless it is clear that a feeling of something like despondency attacked him after he had transported his army across the potomac he seemed to feel that too much was expected of him that anything but the most brilliant successes would be viewed in the disparaging light of chancellorsville that the country demanded that he should not only protect the capital but destroy the rebel army and in view of the impression he had received as to lee's superior numbers he began to think that such a task might not be possible with the force he had in this frame of mind he wished to dispose absolutely of every man within his reach and it seemed a personal affront to him if any troops he asked for were withheld from him before starting for harper's ferry he sent a dispatch to general halleck asking if there were any reason why maryland heights could not be abandoned after the public stores and property were removed and after going to that point his conviction was confirmed that the large force there was utterly wasted for any practical purpose his plan was to march the twelfth corps in that direction to join to them the garrison of maryland heights and with this considerable force to move upon lee's rear to destroy his bridges if there were any left and to drive away his guard and intercept the opulent flow of stores grain horses and cattle which ewell was pouring down the cumberland valley into virginia on the ground he could see more clearly than ever that the troops there were useless they guarded no ford of the potomac the place was not in itself defensible its sole apparent purpose was to protect a railroad bridge the engineer in charge colonel reynolds agreed with him that if it were ever of any use it was certainly useless now when the rebel army had passed above it in force as general hooker afterwards said quote, even if it were the key to maryland of what value was the key after the door was smashed in unquote. he sat down to write an order for the abandonment of the post when to his deep disappointment he received a dispatch from general halleck saying quote, maryland heights have always been regarded as an important point to be held by us 
and much expense and labor incurred in fortifying them i cannot approve their abandonment except in case of absolute necessity unquote. general hooker immediately replied reiterating his conviction that the troops were wasted there that even if the works were abandoned no enemy would ever take possession of them that under present circumstances the force left there was merely a bait for the rebels should they return but no such reply as this no mere expression of his opinion could satisfy the deep feeling of resentment and disappointment with which he received general halleck's dispatch he wrote and sent at the same moment another telegram saying that he was unable with the means at his disposal to cover harper's ferry and washington and to fight an enemy in his front of more than his numbers he therefore requested to be at once relieved from the position he occupied it will always be impossible to say whether general hooker intended to be taken at his word we believe he never gave the slightest intimation that he intended to allow the government the alternative of yielding to his wishes or accepting his resignation but the situation was so critical and time was so precious that none could be lost in parley or delay general james a hardy was at once dispatched to the headquarters of the army with the message relieving general hooker at his own request and appointing in his place general george gordon meade commanding the fifth corps general meade had served with distinction on almost every battlefield of the army of the potomac he enjoyed the respect and esteem of all its officers and men with perhaps the sole exception of his predecessor for as when burnside was deposed the person most ungrateful to his feelings was put in his place so now by a strange caprice of fortune hooker himself was to drain the cup he had made so bitter for burnside and was to hand over the baton of command to his most conspicuous critic ever since the battle of chancellorsville the relations between the two officers had been so unfriendly that when hardy arrived at meade's tent with an official envelope and a look of unusual solemnity the latter thought it was an order of arrest for himself meade was a tall thin reserved man very near-sighted with the air of the student rather than of the saberer he had none of the genial gifts and graces which were in different ways possessed by all of those who had preceded him in command but he was well known as an able and energetic soldier of approved courage and calm judgment in difficult circumstances and it is in evidence of his own worth and of the splendid moral qualities of the great army he commanded that this perilous change made in a moment of supreme importance was accepted both by him and his soldiery without an instant of confusion or hesitation they went on in the line of duty without breaking step without a tremor of the pulse hooker gave his congratulations in his usual hearty and chivalrous manner he complimented meade in general orders as quote, a brave and accomplished officer who has nobly earned the confidence and esteem of this army on many a well-fought field unquote. He took leave of his comrades in touching and generous words, and then rode away from the Army of the Potomac forever. One could not help a feeling of regret at this sudden termination of Hooker's command. He had never exhibited more vigor and ability, more insight and capacity, 
than in this fortnight which preceded his resignation every step of the way from falmouth to frederick he had shown the finest qualities of generalship he had known when to move and when to halt when to strike and when to refrain from striking when he was relieved he was on his way to the very point where lee considered his armor the weakest if he had remained in command with his clearness of vision and boldness in planning joining with that impetuosity of attack which he showed on every occasion except once in his life it is easy to imagine what splendid results he might have accomplished for the cause he had so intensely at heart but when on the other hand we reflect how feebly he concluded at chancellorsville the work he had so magnificently begun how suddenly and unaccountably the daring will the brilliant intellect of the thirtieth of april became clouded with doubt and hesitation the next day and passed into disastrous eclipse on the third of may we cannot but admit that the president was right in taking alarm at the querulous tone of his dispatches from poolsville and harper's ferry and in concluding that a general who resigns his commission on the eve of battle should always have his resignation accepted let the consequences be what they may End of chapter eight recording by warren cotty gurney illinois